Hello and welcome to Cocoa Pods, a podcast of the Birth Center for Natural Deliveries Foundation. This is where we discuss all the issues about the health of the mother. I am Dr. Bola Sogadi. I'm a board certified obstetrician gynecologist. I'm also a family physician and I'm a minimally invasive robotic gynecologic surgeon. That basically means I do all my major procedures through very small incisions. I'm also a proponent for natural childbirths and I'm an investigator of the reasons of why a lot of black women die in the state of Georgia during and around pregnancy. Today, we're fortunate to have with us Dr. Cheryl Franklin. Dr. Franklin is the previous medical director of the Morehouse Healthcare. She's an assistant professor of the Department of OBGYN at Morehouse School of Medicine in Atlanta, Georgia. She has a master's degree in public health, and she's the co-lead of the Georgia Improved Project with Dr. Natalie Hernandez, who is the interim director of the Morehouse School of Medicine Center for Maternal Health Equity. Dr. Franklin, welcome to Cocoa Pods and thank you for joining us today as we discuss these very important issues affecting pregnant women in Georgia. Thank you for coming. And thank you so very much for having me. Just talking to one of our young uh, interns going to medical school, countries like Finland and, and Sweden have very low mat maternal mortality rates. And some of the things that contribute to the high rates in America and in Georgia, they, they are rooted in implicit and or explicit bias and structural racism in social determinants of health, chronic stress, and quality of care. How can we, and I know you talked about policy, and with policy and with the community, you know, with the woman herself, how can we even start addressing some of these issues from, you know, just even a woman? You know, if, if a woman with uh, high school education, for instance, comes into labor and delivery and says, you know, I'm having chest pain, she needs to be listened to, not you know, are not ignored because she's black or she's poor, because that chest pain could be, she could be having a cardiac, she could be having a heart attack after pregnancy because she had very high blood pressures. How can we even start looking at this problem from this point of view? So you started off by uh, naming some countries who are doing better uh, than we are in terms of addressing um morbidity and mortality um, or who have lower rates and one of the things that's been pointed out is that uh, the United States um, is uh, one of the countries with uh, large uh, racial and ethnic biases and heterogeneous populations and so uh, one issue that uh, the American Public Health Association has championed is really looking at how racism is acting in every policy. So in whatever room one is in, whether that be in government, whether that be in corporations, 
whether that be in education, etc. When policies are made, every policy should be examined to see whether or not racism and structural racism is a part of that policy. Um, for instance, if the city councilman persons in the room had paid attention to um, the uh, structural biases uh, in Flint, Michigan, that said, we're not going to spend the money to change over the pipes, to get rid of these lead-based pipes, um, then maybe we would not have had the lead crisis uh, in Flint, Michigan. And so no matter what it is people are doing, whatever rooms they sit in where they can influence change, every decision has to be looked at with the proper lens. Um, and so the first step is acknowledging that we have this problem. Uh, and the next step is to break it down so that we are looking for it everywhere and we're trying to understand how to get rid of it. So in medicine, we know that um, a lot of explicit bias in medicine uh, was uh, changed uh, with the 1965 passage of the Medicare Act, right? All right. With Medicare, uh, it made it illegal to overtly discriminate against uh, black persons, brown persons, uh, and uh, because you couldn't get uh, your hospital and providers couldn't get money from Medicare if they were found to be discriminating. So that helped a whole lot because prior to that, there was quite a bit of overt racism and discrimination in medicine. But we know through lots of study now that there is significant implicit bias and, and um, significant underlying um, subtle or more subtle discriminatory practices. And um, this is not an accusation of people. Uh, it's an acknowledgement that we all have biases, every one of us. We have them, we may have them to different degrees, but we all have biases that are cooked into our ways of thinking, cooked into our institutions. And so until we recognize and understand those and actively try to change them, uh, it will continue uh, to be the case. So. There's lots of training programs that are going on now. Um, I just took one through the March of Dimes that was excellent. Um, there are uh, coming online more and more implicit bias trainings so people can start to understand that. We are going to make implicit bias training available to our uh, providers who are involved with Georgia Improve um, as part of our knowledge networking. Um, and so everybody just has to recognize it and, and, uh, and keep understanding it. And then the other thing is just trust women. 
to understand that they know their bodies. Uh, and sometimes they can't articulate what's going on, but when they are raising a concern to, to take it uh, seriously. We also though, have to train women to take their concerns seriously themselves. And so in, um, in maternal health care, there is a paradigm that I like to, uh, it helps me to understand the genesis of the problem. And it's called the three delays model. And the three delays model was actually devised uh, for a uh, rural, uh, uh, low resourced uh, community uh, type of a problem in global healthcare. But I think it can be applied uh, in Georgia uh, and in our local settings. So the three delays model is, uh, the first delay is the woman recognizing herself that she has a problem, uh, understanding the symptoms of the problem, understanding that uh, this is not just part for the course, but I'm having an issue that I need to do something about and not ignoring symptoms. So education is a big part of that. Um, you know, how we uh, market, and or not market, but how we advertise uh, problems. We did a good job of that with COVID. If you will remember, uh, COVID came out and all over the TV and uh, New York did a great job with it. They were advertising what the symptoms were of COVID and the things that you needed to seek help for. So I think we need to do a better job with that, with maternal um, health and uh, morbidity. So that's the first delay. The second delay is getting to, a, a delay of getting to a place, a site of service where one can be helped. And as you might imagine, that's a whole lot of issues that, that contribute to that delay. That's transportation. You have to have a way to get there. That's family understanding and support. So you might have to convince another person that you are having a problem and need help to get to a site of service. So it's a decision to act. And it's not just your own decision, but might be your family or your community helping you to make that transition. Um, so it's more education. It's access. If, if you know you need to go somewhere, but you don't have anywhere to go because you don't have insurance that anyone's going to take and you don't have a care provider near you or you don't, you know, they closed the local hospital and now you've got to get somewhere 60 miles away all of that plays into that second delay. So you know you have a problem, but you can't access the services that you need. So that's that. And then there's the third critical delay. Once you are in a site of service, an appropriate site of service, now it's getting the appropriate care that you need. 
Um, and so now we get into um, uh, provider education, hospital education, systems of care. Are they set up for emergencies properly? Do we have a, an appropriate uh, distribution of healthcare services such that an ambulance knows that if a woman is having this problem, I need to take her to a higher tier level of service than the local community hospital. Um, so it's that kind of thing and it has to do with health systems, um, provider education, um, and so on and so forth. So that's a lot, but it's it's uh, it's all part of it, and that's what makes this issue so complex. Wow, thank you, Dr. Franklin. That's such a comprehensive response. I mean, basically, women out there and their caregivers need education on awareness of beliefs, on bias, on stereotypes. They need to know why and how to get to know a patient's cultural identity. And we talked about strategies for providing respectful, compassionate, and high-quality maternal health care to the women while they are there. Uh, you talked about, um, and I want you to talk about this some more, you know, um, the, if there are women out there that want to participate in this research, you know, or maybe uh, caregivers of women that want to participate, because this is such an iconic research by an iconic um, uh, uh, university, Morehouse School of Medicine in Georgia, for a problem that is prevalent in Georgia. For women or caregivers out there, how can they learn more about this research project and even participate? So uh, we are starting a, a website for Georgia Improved. It's not up and running yet, but will be soon. And we will have a uh, direct email address so that people can email us. Uh, at that, this point, we are recruiting uh, women who are interested in health equity work through uh, our community advisory board. Uh, which Dr. Shigati, again, is the chairwoman of. And um, so through our uh, connected uh, providers, we have our perinatal care research and intervention network, uh, our PICRIN, we call it, uh, which is comprised of community physicians and uh, mid-level prof uh, professionals, etc. And... Um, they, too, are referring women to our uh, community. Our community advisory board is co-chaired by two postpartum women with, uh, uh, who work with Dr. Shigade. They will be uh, promoting uh, this project as well. And uh, we will reach out through a lot of related projects that we have at Moore School of Medicine to try to uh, have uh, women who are interested in being part of this solution uh, to help us uh, to understand the, the issues and help to drive uh, the solutions that we collectively will devise. So, 
Yeah, thank you. Dr. Franklin, I'm going to have one more question for you. But before we finish, um, please, uh, this is the uh, Cocoa Pods podcast. It's a podcast of the Birth Center for Natural Deliveries Foundation. We talk about all the issues relating to women's health care. And today we are fortunate again to have Dr. Cheryl Franklin. She has practiced in the Atlanta area for more than 32 years. She is an associate um, professor in the department of um I'm sorry, she's an assistant professor in the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology at the iconic Morehouse School of Medicine, and she is one of the principal investigators of a big project in Georgia trying to find out and to solve some of the problems relating to Black minority women, women of color, dying at a higher rate in pregnancy and around pregnancy in the state of Georgia. Dr. Franklin, in wrapping up, can you tell us about the MoMA Act, like like M-O-M-M-A, you know, for, you know, mommy, MoMA, but the MoMA Act, uh, 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 can you tell us something about that? Sure. Uh, the MAMA Act, um, uh, another acronym, uh, stands for Mothers and Offspring Mortality and Morbidity Awareness Act, uh, was uh, introduced in uh, the 116th Congress uh, by Representative Kelly Robin, a Democrat from Illinois, uh, in uh, 2019. Uh, as a House uh, resolution um, and reintroduced, I believe, in 2020 um, and uh, is making its way. Uh, it's in committee uh, in the Congress, uh, and I don't believe it's gone to uh, the Senate as of yet, uh, but is to look at improving uh, federal efforts with respect to prevention of maternal mortality in the United States. And so it's an important uh, act. And I'm, I'm uh, pretty sure it's the first time that a comprehensive act on the federal level uh, was introduced into Congress to, um, to comprehensively address uh, this issue. Um, and you alluded to the fact that at the end of 2020, we had uh, uh, two things happen that came out of the last uh, uh, administration. Uh, the Secretary of Health and Human Services, Alex Azar, uh, put out um, a, an action plan, uh, action plan called Healthy Mothers, Healthy Pregnancies, Healthy Futures, an action plan to improve maternal health in America. Um, an important step uh, because it sort of gave a, a, a roadmap of evidence-based measures to decrease maternal mortality. So that's part of the national effort to comprehensively look at that. Almost simultaneously, uh, right about the uh, same time, the Surgeon General, uh, Jerome Adams, uh, did a call to action also to decrease maternal morbidity and mortality. 
And it gives a um, set of actions for women, states, tribes, and local governments, healthcare professionals, health systems, hospitals, and birthing facilities, payers, employers, innovators, and researchers to look very carefully at how we can collectively um, improve maternal health and decrease morbidity and mortality. I really like that effort uh, because it recognizes that it's not just healthcare providers, it's not just women themselves, it's not just hospitals, it's not just payers, it's everybody, it's the whole community that have to come together to look at ways within their realm of influence for how they can help to address this problem. And so uh, I've not, not seen that before, uh, where uh, it's been acknowledged that this is a societal problem that's not born by just one, uh, one uh, aspect or realm of society, but has to be addressed uh, in a comprehensive, cohesive fashion. So um, anyway, it's a, it's a big job, uh, lots before us, and uh, there's room for help from everyone. Dr. Franklin, I am so honored, so appreciative of you coming to our podcast. You inspire me on so many levels, so many things. And I am grateful to you, Dr. Cheryl Franklin. You know, um, shoulders of, of, of giants I stand on. Dr. Cheryl Franklin, Dr. Elizabeth Ophili, Dr. Pimo. I am so uh, grateful for all of you. And again, Dr. Franklin, thank you so much for coming on this podcast. We definitely will be having you again. And I thank you for all the help that you are doing, actionable items to, to develop and for ultimately less women dying in and around pregnancy in the state of Georgia and in the United States. Thank you very much. Well, you are so very welcome, Dr. Shigati, and I am in awe of you. <laughs> and I know very well uh, from being on the front line in healthcare myself uh, more in the past, I know the level of dedication and uh, the level, the, the, the degree of work that you have to do to accomplish what you have accomplished. And uh, we thank you for providing care and services in an underserved, in underserved areas in Georgia. You have been part of the solution. And if we had more like you, perhaps we wouldn't have so much of the problem that we've had. So you are an inspiration to others. And uh, we look forward to being able to reproduce you <laughs> and to be able to uh, uh, clone you and your types of services uh, in Georgia. And anything we can do at Morehouse School of Medicine to help to resource you 
to provide um, help uh, for you. That's what we'd like to do uh, because only together will we be able to solve this problem. Thank you very much, Dr. Franklin, and have a very good day.